0: Good morning again, everybody. So uh, I mentioned this at the end of our gathering last week. I kind of set it up, but I'll go ahead and set it up uh, once, once more because I know not everybody was here last week. Two, 2020, remember that year? How many, how many of you remember 2020? We, we set out in 2020 at the beginning of the year as a church to focus uh, our time and attention and our thoughts and prayers and energies on an area of our church that we're just not good at. And, and we're not alone as a church. I think most churches, if they're being honest, would say that they do some things well and they, they do other things you know, not so well. And the, and the not so well for a lot of churches has to do with sharing the gospel. Actually opening our mouths and talking with people who don't have a relationship with Jesus about Jesus and why Jesus really is the answer to every question in life. And so at the beginning of 2020, we did a series called Who's Your One? And it wasn't intended and isn't intended to be some branding that somehow makes individual people in our life, you know, targets on a board. Like, that's my one. I'm going to go get them. But it's really birthed out of a belief that everybody knows somebody. You have somebody in your life that, that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, those of us who have made that decision in this room, it, it, should, it should mean something that God invites us into this relationship with him that doesn't just end with him. That should call us to care about all of the ones in our life that don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And so our our intention was to to kind of let 2020 be a year for us to come back to this idea again and again and again. And then March of 2020 happened and it set us and the whole planet on a different path for a while. And so here we are uh, three years later and um, I think it's time for us to hit refresh Right when when you kind of are on your computer and and it kind of that page gets stuck, right? And and you can you can do a hard reboot. You can turn off the computer and start the thing up. But sometimes your computer doesn't need a hard reboot. That page just needs to be updated. It just needs to be refreshed. And so so that's what we're kind of referring to this as. This is kind of who's your one refreshed. We're we're just going to go back and revisit, rethink about this idea of mission evangelism sharing the gospel and uh, and and that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks that lead us toward eastern so i want to invite you to take your bible and open to luke chapter 19 if you have a bible if you don't have a bible please stop and get one Uh, on your way out uh, today we want you to have a copy of god's word if you uh, you have your uh, phone and you have the bible app feel free to open that up Uh, any of the verses that we'll use today, we'll put them up on the screen as well. One of the common um, leadership questions, um, motivational speaker questions that that I hear people using uh, regularly in, in recent days is this simple question, what is your why? What is your why? Do you know why you live? Do you know why you exist? Do you, do you know what your why is? And coaches and leadership gurus and speakers will then often spend time unpacking what their why is and how they concluded what their why is and how you can go about understanding what your why is so that you can live a life that is completely filled with purpose, that you can be uh, fulfilled because you live knowing what your why is. When well, Luke chapter 19, Jesus shares his why. He communicates very cl- clearly what his purpose was and is. He knew his mission. He knew why we, he was sent to earth. He knew what his job was. and he, he stated it very clearly when he said this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's Luke 19, verse number 10, the last part of that verse. And so I want to just leave this verse up uh, for these words of Jesus up just for a minute. Um, These these words were spoken by Jesus in the context of a story that many of us who have been following Jesus for a long time are very familiar with, the story of Zacchaeus. We're going to look at that story in just a minute. But, but for now, can we just slow down and examine these words and just think about them? Jesus' why, his purpose statement, his life mission, however you want to articulate it, can be summed up with this statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came, right? Let's start there. This is Christmas. This is, this is the incarnation. It's a reminder whenever we see those words for the Son of Man came that, that he is the one who took the initiative to come to us. God has always been and will always be the initiator. He was the initiator at the incarnation and when it comes to evangelism and when it comes to the sharing the gospel, he is always the initiator. But Jesus says that he came for a twofold purpose. The first one is to seek. To seek. Let's think about that word for a minute. If you were to, to, to look up the original languages, right? Look up the, 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 the Greek text, you would see that this word seek is the word zeteo. And that has the idea with seeking what one formally possessed. It was in my possession, then I lost it. And isn't that, in a sense, the story of creation? That God created this world perfect. We were his perfect creation. And because of the fall, what God created was lost. And and that the the salvation story, the the incarnation of Christ, is him coming to seek what is his, but now, because of sin, had been lost. We We need to think about that. Luke chapter 15, and we won't take the time to go there, but Luke 15 shares several parables that, again, many of us are familiar with about lost things. If you turn back to, to Luke 15, you would read about uh, the parable of a lost, the lost sheep, right? How the shepherd left the 99 to find the one lost sheep. And, and then you would read about the parable of the lost coin, about the woman who, who lost her coin, and then she, she swept her house until she found that coin, And then the lost son, the story of the prodigal son, a son who was lost, and the father waited and waited and waited until the son came to his senses and came back home to the father. The story of a lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, all as a a reminder that that's, that's who Jesus is, that he is the one who seeks. People need to be sought. Reminded, and I, I tell this story all the time that, that, that I had to seek Pam. Pam Pam was not interested in me at the beginning. You know. She had no, no desire for me. Her desire was elsewhere. With an Elvis impersonator. True story. You've heard me tell it before, I won't tell it again. But it took time. And it took me pursuing her over a course of about two years before she finally, finally came to her senses. Or as she likes to say, finally God did enough work in my life to get me ready for her, and she's probably more right than, than, than me. Uh, but there was something about me pursuing her that's a reminder of what God does for us. That, that many of us, and, and some of our, our journey, our stories, w- would echo this, this, this thought. I, I wasn't looking for God in my life. I, I was just doing my own thing, and somebody came and started sharing the gospel with me. I, I wasn't looking for God, but, but things started to unravel to the point where I started to question where my life was headed, and, and somebody invited me to church, And I went to church and I heard things for the first time that I'd never heard before. I began thinking about things that I hadn't thought about before. I considering considering things that I had never considered before. And as you look back, now you didn't see it at the time. You couldn't couldn't necessarily articulate at the time. But as you look back, you can see that God was pursuing you. And oftentimes, if you think about it, he was using people to pursue you. For some of you, it may have been a friend. Others, it might have been a coworker. For some, it might be a brother or sister. For others, it might be a parent or perhaps even a child that God used to continue to come to you and talk to you. This is normal and it's natural and it's what's needed and necessary when it comes to sharing the gospel. A pursuer, somebody who says, I am going to seek because that's what my Savior did with me. It's that kind of pursuit that God wants us to have when we consider the conditions of people that we know, that we love, that we respect. And at Zion, we, we kind of think in, in three terms. Let me show you the slide as a reminder so you can see it one more time. When we, when we think about those who could perhaps be our ones, people that God might be asking us to, to love a little bit more intentionally, to, to be more committed to being in a relationship with, to, to taking a risk and, 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 and putting Christ's name on the table, so to speak, when you're around them, they could be described in three different ways. People who are far from God, People who are finding their way back to God and people who are figuring out if they even believe in God. I mean, think about that. In, in those three different categories, hopefully you know somebody that fits all those categories. And probably you do. I mean, if you were to slow down and think about it, you, there's probably some, somebody that you know that that, that that they know, yeah, I'm far from God. And, and, and they're okay with that. Like, I have no interest, right? And then you, you probably know somebody who can tell you, I used to have faith, but I've drifted. I I used to go to church, but I've walked away. I used to believe, but now I don't. But their story is something is going on in their life, and they're they're beginning to question, and they're beginning to take some steps, and they're beginning to perhaps move back toward what they once used to embrace. You, You might know people like that, and then you probably have people in your life that are, just trying to figure out, do I even believe in God? Do I believe at all? And, and, and again, when I think about who's your one, this is, this, is a, this is a filter for you to think about who it is that God might be calling you to. But Jesus said that he came to seek and to save. That's the next word, the twofold, right? That word, the word save is the word sozo. Literally, it means to save from danger or affliction, or, or when it comes to eternity, Christ came to save us from eternal death and separation from him. He came to seek, to look for, and to save. Look, we, we don't save ourselves, we understand that. And, and anybody who would perhaps tell you that you are... Um, more important in the process of salvation than maybe you should think about like like let 's talk about that because um, i was I was raised in a in an environment where I was convinced that the better salesman I was when it came to sharing the gospel, the more people I would see come to know Christ, and so I had this this pressure, this guilt that was placed on me, that it was all on me to do the saving. Because I had to say it just right, I had to articulate it just right, I had to manipulate the conversation just right, I had to close the deal. And again, then that's not a a knock on anybody who sells cars, but that was kind of the mentality, kind of that, that car salesman whose motivation is, I gotta close this deal. That was the motivation. And and so I I grew up thinking that the saving was dependent upon me. Let's be clear, the saving has nothing to do with us. Has nothing to do with us. We're simply to be the witnesses. We're simply to share the good news. But why do people need to be saved to begin with? Well, Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. Well, people need to be saved because they're lost, literally. They are ruined, they are destroyed. Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection three days later, is what saves lost people. People who are ruined, people who are destroyed, when they have a personal encounter with the risen Christ and they place their faith in him, they go from being lost to being found. Just like the sheep was found, the coin was found, and the son was found in the parables from Luke 15. Make no mistake. Seeking and saving was and is Jesus's why. Now again, what does that have to do with us? Well, the moment that we chose to follow Jesus, we chose to follow Jesus. And and, and what that means is that which is important to Jesus becomes important to us. That which was a priority to Jesus becomes a priority for us. The why of Jesus becomes our why. It's what it means to be an apprentice of somebody. It means I'm looking at their life and whatever I'm, they, I see them doing, I'm going to do. It's what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to follow Jesus and if Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost, well, that means if you're, if you're claiming to follow him, that also is your why. It's to get the gospel every place you can get it, to the workout, out, to, to your workplace, to, your, to where you work out, to everywhere you go. And we don't have time, but if we were to continue to read in Luke's account, Jesus would later tell a parable about a nobleman And the nobleman in the story is a a picture of Jesus. And this nobleman leaves the the far country and he leaves 10 servants of his, 10 minas, three months worth of wages. And again, this is different than the parable of the talents, but he tells these servants to engage in the family business until I return. That was what he told the servants to do, to engage in the family business now, scholars all tend to agree that the point of this parable was about the gospel and the fact that the master, the nobleman, Jesus, expects his servants, you and I, to engage in the family business. And what is the family business? It's to spread the gospel it's to get his word into the ears and into the hearts of other people by any means possible, any way possible. Again, those of you who are businessmen or businesswomen, a- a- any time that you've sat down to go to a seminar or read a book on-, on business, at some point you've encountered uh, this line of teaching. Simplest business principle uh, that-, that there is, Right? To be successful in business, you have to know what your business is and continually ask what? How's business? Know what your business is and then ask, how is business? In the same way as followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus, we should regularly come back to the same mentality, the same thought. Hey, what is our business? What's the business of followers of Jesus? And how are we doing with it? And I can't escape the reality that the business of the church is to get the message of the gospel to those who are not churched. When we think about it this way, in a a weird sense, we exist for those who are not yet here with us. That's what the church is for. That, that, that a lot of the reason why we exist, and, and we can talk theologically, we're here to glorify God, and we're here to study the word, and we're, like we can go down a whole bunch of paths, but don't forget, don't lose sight that a lot of what we do, we ought to do for those who are not yet in the room. And that's sharing the gospel, taking the message out. That's business. So again, let's ask the question, how is business? And if you're not convinced that it is our job, that it, it, it's our why to carry the message to others. Let's look at this passage up on the screen. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. This is after the resurrection. And he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, peace be with you. And then listen to the why that he gives to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I, I, can't, I, I can't make it any clearer as a pastor. The best way that I can make it clear to us as a church is to point you to what the master says, what our savior says. And he says, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And later on he says, I am sending you, just as the father has sent me. But how? What what does it look like? How, How do I know if I'm actually living out God's why for my life? carrying on the mission? How do I, how do I in, the, in the, the language that we're going to be using over the next few weeks, how do I reach my one? If I believe that God, God really has impressed on me somebody, or maybe it's a few somebodies, what do I do? What do I do? What are some, what are some steps that I can take? Well, I'm glad you're asking, and if you're not asking, I'm still going to answer, but we're going to do that by looking at the story of Zacchaeus. So Again, in your Bible, Luke chapter 19, let me start. In verse number one, here's what Luke has to say. He writes this, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now again, if we're not careful, we can just skip through that that simple verse and not think that there's anything important here, but I want you to know this is important. Why? Well, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem For the Passover, but more importantly, he is ramping up toward his own crucifixion. His days are numbered. He is about to be crucified. And Luke very clearly says that it was Jesus' intention to simply pass through, to pass through this city called Jericho. Spending time there was not on his agenda. It's because Jesus, again, was a man who lived with focus. And and intentionality, he did it all of the time, but Jesus still made time for people. He still made time for people. And we can't miss that in that simple verse. His intention was to pass through, but as we continue to read the story, we know that that's not exactly what happened. This encounter that he has with Zacchaeus wasn't planned but immediately it became a priority for him. There's a lesson for us if we're gonna reach somebody this year with the gospel. And the lesson is this. We must be willing to adjust our schedule to help our one discover who Jesus is. I think, honestly, I think just knowing culture, knowing you, knowing the rhythms of so many of your lives, this is really the starting point, a willingness to adjust your schedule. Why? Because I know you. You are busy. You have something going on all of the time. How do I know that? I know that at times by the response that I get when we invite you to do something. I'd love to, but... Well, I really, I, I would do that, but I, I got this going on. Yeah, that, that sounds like, good, it's like, like a good idea, but, but I can't because I've got... And and we can all, again, just collectively take a deep breath and say, yeah, we're busy. We are all very busy. But busyness can never become an excuse when it comes to helping others discover who Jesus is and what he offers those who are willing to follow him. It can never be an excuse. Reaching your one takes a willingness to adjust your schedule. Adjusting how? Well, it starts by. by let's start here. Praying for your one. Taking time to just pray for them. God, would you begin to move in? Fill in the blank. Their life. God, I can't save them. I can't change their heart. I can't change their mind. But I believe that you can. Today, whatever they're doing, would you would you show them somehow, some way, how much you love them? how much you care about them, and how much you want them to be in a relationship with you. That takes time. It takes time to just pray for somebody else. Are you? Are you adjusting your life enough to simply pray for people that you want to meet and have a relationship with Jesus? Beyond that, it's gonna take some more adjusting of your time. You might have to be willing to be trained with how to share the gospel, and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But you might need to go through a season where you're like, okay, if I'm going to talk to my friend, my neighbor, my loved one, my coworker about Jesus, I probably should get a better understanding of just how to do that. You might have to commit to spending a lot of time with them over a period of time. Just being present, being with them, being around them, loving them, blessing them, serving them, just consistently being in their life, building into them. And the question that we all have to kind of start with is, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to adjust my life so that someone that I care about has the opportunity to hear the the gospel and be offered the opportunity to begin to follow Jesus, to be forgiven of sins, and to have an eternal life? life with him someday in heaven. Let's continue to read the story. I want to read down through verse 6. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Again, we're now introduced to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and, 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 and being a tax collector in Jesus' day, just like in our day, was not on anybody's favorite jobs list. He'd be like an IRS agent in our day. But there's something about how, uh, how tax collectors worked in the first century under Roman authority. Here's what would happen. Romans would come in, they would take over a city, and they would want to tax the people in that city but instead of sending one of their own citizens to be the tax collector, they would hire a local from that city, make them one of their tax collectors, tell them this is how much tax we expect you to collect from the people, and anything that you tax above that is yours. You get to keep it. And so again, tax collectors were not very well liked. They, number one, worked for their enemies. They worked for the enemy. They worked for Rome. And they had Roman protection. Roman guards would protect them. And they took money to line their own pockets from their own people. No wonder tax collectors were hated. When, when you read in the, in the Gospels about uh, uh, tax collectors and sinners... Right, that phrase is, appears several times in the Gospels. It was because tax collectors had their own category of sinner. There were sinners, and then there were tax collectors. These, these folks were not liked at all. And then we read in the story the part that, that we're all pretty familiar with, is the fact that Zacchaeus was short. And I don't know what, why it comes to mind when I read the story. I just Zacchaeus is and, for, and will always be Danny DeVito to me. It's just, it's just who he is. That's what comes to my mind. But there was something that was happening, and we, we don't know what it was that was happening in his life, but something was happening in his life that made him want to go out of his way to see Jesus. But because he was short, he couldn't, he couldn't see people, right? Right? Think about a parade, you know, everybody's standing up and cheering, you know, no big deal if you're, you know, of a certain height, but if you're, if you're short enough, you cannot see. And so rather than trying to w- wiggle his way into the front, he decides just to climb up into a tree. And, and let me just say this, if you are here today And you would describe yourself as far from God, finding your way back to God, figuring out if you even believe in God. Which again, in a room this size, I'd imagine there's somebody who would say, yeah, that that describes me more than being described as a follower of Jesus. Let Zacchaeus' story encourage you. Look, if there's anything inside of you that is at least remotely curious about Jesus... If there's something that you're hearing and seeing or sensing in your life that makes you say, I just need to lean in a little bit more, then let Zacchaeus' story encourage you to do whatever it takes to keep pushing through, to keep climbing up trees if you have to, so that you can personally eyewitness and, and personally be able to come to a conclusion about who Jesus is. And if today you describe yourself as a Zacchaeus, minus the looking like Danny DeVito part and being a tax collector part, I'm glad you're here. We want to help you, right? All you've got to do is say, hey, I, I'm, I'm climbing up a tree. I, I want to ask some questions. I want to find out more. And, and we will do everything we can to help you on your journey. I'll back to the text. Verse 5 is something that we don't think about a lot. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This is bizarre. Why? Well, at this moment in time, Jesus would have been peak popularity. I mean, if there was a social media moment in his day, he, he would have had all of the followers, Right, he would have been known as a social media influencer. He was the guy, and so he shows up into this into this town, and he is a celebrity, right? And Jericho was a a powerful Jewish city. I think you know New York City, think L.A. Right, but when he. Gets there again. He's just intending to pass through. He doesn't want to stop and hang out with the mayor. He, he doesn't pick up his phone, the phone and call the, the hotshot QB of the professional football team. He 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 doesn't call the city's wealthiest you know businessman or businesswoman. He, he 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 decides I'm gonna go and hang out with Zacchaeus. Not the best of the best in the in the community, but just the opposite the worst of the worst. He says to wicked Zacchaeus, let's have dinner. And he goes and he eats with them. I can't think about it. Jesus knew that his time was short. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And in this moment, Jesus isn't just building bridges. He's not just planting seeds. He's not just making a connection. He's not just being a blessing to Zacchaeus. Now again, There's a time for all of that. There's a time for planting seeds and making connections and just building bridges. But I'm afraid that that we tend to spend too much time thinking that we're just simply in the building bridges, making connections, planting seeds, being a blessing phase of reaching somebody in the gospel that we never get to the next step. More on that in a second. But this would have been... scandalous in Jesus' day. To eat with somebody, to go to their house and share a meal was not just a sign of acceptance, it was a sign of friendship. And Jesus is extending this this friendship to Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus makes any move toward Christ. Christ. Before Zacchaeus makes any commitment to be or do anything different, Jesus simply says, "I'm going to come to your house," or in other words, "I want to be your friend." Before G- before Zacchaeus believes in Jesus as Messiah, and I think that that's I think that's incredible. I think that's incredible. That's what Jesus was doing in that moment. And again, when you th- when you when you think about it, why did he do it? Well. Two things I think he understood, and it's not on the screen, but if you want to write this down, you can. I think that Jesus, in this moment, understood two things the, the value of one and the urgency of the moment. The urgency of the moment. Throughout his life, Jesus spent time ministering to one person at a time. And those encounters always led to a, a call to believe, to change, to follow. To, to be altered by that encounter. And I think there is a lesson for us in this story that we need to slow down and consider. It's this. If we're going to reach our one, then we have to live with a sense of urgency when it comes to our one. So, listen, I listen, I know you. I do. I, I mean, I've been around you for a number of years. You love your You love your neighbor. You love your friend. You love your coworker. You even, you even love your family. I know, it's hard to believe, right? But I believe you, do. You love your family. And I, I, I believe this. I believe that you want all of the people that are in your sphere of influence, you want them all to have a relationship with Jesus. You want them to meet Jesus, to follow him and enjoy him forever just like you, are going to enjoy him forever. But one of the biggest lies that many of us believe, and it's an age-old lie, it's simply this. There's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. And, and the truth is, if Satan, if Satan can't convince us that the gospel isn't true, he will try to convince us that sharing the gospel isn't true urgent and I think he's been very convincing. if Jesus can't convince us that the gospel isn't true he's, he's fine with convincing us that the gospel and sharing it isn't urgent what would it look like in your life if you began to live with a kind of urgency to get the gospel into the hearts and minds of as many people as possible. I I can't answer what what would have to change in your life or what would change in your life, but I know that it would call for a change. It would call for a change in all of our life. And what I said just a minute ago, it would call for all of us to move beyond, not around, but beyond planting seeds, building bridges, being a blessing, to actually talking about the gospel, to actually sharing the hope that we have experienced in our relationship with Jesus. Verse seven, I'm gonna continue to read. And when they saw it, They all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Who is the they? Well, the they is the religious crowd. It's it's the religious people who were there wanting probably a piece of Jesus for themselves. And this was a typical response from religious people toward Jesus in his day. It wasn't the first time that he was accused of being a friend of sinner's. You know, um, from our vantage point, it's a good thing, being a friend of sinners. In Jesus' culture in his day, it wasn't. It, because if you were a friend of sinner, a friend of a sinner, then it made you a sinner. But Jesus was able to tune out the critics. He, he was able to tune out those who um, accused him of being a friend of sinners to actually be a friend of sinners. And and so what's the lesson here? Well, ignore the religious crowds and become a friend to your one. Ignore the religious crowds and become a friend to your one. See, the longer that we're following Jesus, the less we think like those who aren't following Jesus. And the less we have connections with people who aren't following Jesus. And much of it is normal and natural and sometimes it's necessary, let me just say that. For some in this room, as you are beginning to follow Jesus and you're wrestling with what it looks like to follow Jesus, there are people perhaps in your life who are preventing you from being able to follow Jesus. For a season, you might just need to keep your distance because they're no good for you and you in you, and if and if that hits you, right, then let it hit you, and if it doesn't, then ignore it, all right? But that's just true. Sometimes we do need to distance ourselves, but but more often we distance ourselves from people who are not Christians because we develop new friendships with people who are more like-minded with us. And again, that's normal, that's natural. It's a good thing. We We need brothers and sisters that we can lean on, right? But we also have to remember, wait a second, I can't just leave this person. I can't leave these folks. I can't, I can't forget about all of these others who need Jesus. Yeah, I might need to be very careful and be very mindful about how I engage them, when I'm around them, what I'm doing when I'm with them, but I can't forget them. And again, those of us who've been following Jesus for a long time, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, if we're being honest, one of the most difficult things for us when it comes to sharing the gospel is we look at all the people that we encounter in the normal rhythm of a week or a month and we're like, I'm, I'm only around Christians. My friend groups are Christians, I work with Christians, or the people, I, people that I work with or people that I'm around at work are Christians because, hey, we, we stick together, right? And again, I get it, it's normal, it's natural, but we have to push past that tendency to separate from sinners and actually be around them. So are people able to point to you as a friend of sinners? Are you around them? Are you around people? Again, far from God, finding their way back to God, figuring out if they even believe in God. One last thing that we want to consider. Look at verse 8 through 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, now listen to what happens. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, he's a Jew. And then then Jesus' statement, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus got some things right, but, but he also got some things wrong. After having this encounter, and we don't know if there's a time frame, if, if Zacchaeus said this as soon as he came down, or if there was kind of like a fast forward in time and cut scene, and now, now they're in Zacchaeus' house and they're having dinner, and after some conversations with Jesus, Zacchaeus says this. But what does Zacchaeus say? He says, I will restore And again, I don't want to read too much into this, but perhaps, perhaps Zacchaeus thought he had to do something first, right? Hey, if I'm gonna be right with you, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. Or perhaps this statement comes after Jesus explains to him who he is and, and Zacchaeus has this moment of belief and then all of a sudden he's like, Here's what I'm going to do first now that I do believe in you, Jesus. I'm going to go and restore and I'm going to give back to those that I've stolen times four. But Jesus, again, wants, wanted Zacchaeus to be clear. First things first. He says, salvation has come and salvation is found in me. You don't have to do anything. You simply have to believe. And then Zacchaeus you go and do the right thing. Belief first, works second. I say it, I'll say this. When it comes to your one, we have to make the gospel clear every chance we get. We have to make the gospel clear. And how can we make the gospel clear if we don't know the gospel, if we've never been trained in the gospel? We have a hard time, and maybe that's one of the reasons why If we're being honest, we keep saying, I'm in the planting and watering phase. I'm in the building and the bridge phase. I'm in the, I'm just trying to be a blessing phase. It might just be that you're stuck in the, I'm not really sure where to go next phase. I don't know what to say to them next phase, right? And again, part of what we want to do is we want to help you. And we want to help you by providing you a resource that can train you in sharing the gospel, and I thought about, during this season, offering a class, doing something you know, here at the church to, to teach you about sharing the gospel, um, and, and opted to put it on you. Instead of trying to drum up more energy and, and, and you know, finding the right time to do that, here's what we did. We took the training that we did several years ago on the three circles. You know, that big old uh, shiplap you know, sign that we have out in the lobby. That's our preferred style for sharing the gospel. We learned that through some video courses, some video training. And how many of you took that a few years ago? We did it over a period of several weeks here at the church. Yeah, several of of us did that. That's awesome. Well, we have compiled it into a playlist. And some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Ask your kid or your grandkid. They'll help you, all right? We've compiled it in a playlist on Zion's YouTube page all right the Zion Church media and so if you'll if you'll again QR code take a picture of that it will take you to our YouTube page which will put you on a page that looks like this I'm going to show that next one all right three circles training and there are six videos each of them if you look at them they're only about 10 minutes 12 the longest one is 12 minutes but there are, there's six videos that Several things. You can watch it on your own. Great. You can do it, do it as part of your devotions for the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Or challenge given here. Your D group can say, Why don't we find some time to do this together as a D group? We'll watch it together and discuss it together and even practice it together. Cool. I'd love that. Maybe your life group would want to take some time and challenge each other to to work through this. This is really kind of a becomes an on-demand training moment. Anytime that you want to learn how to share the gospel, you can go to our YouTube page and watch these videos or re-watch them and and kind of get kind of that. The only way to explain it is a training on how to share the gospel, how to be more confident in walking people through the gospel story. And uh, so that might be something that you need to do to get to the next step with your one Where you're like, okay, I want to help you cross the finish line to become a follower of Jesus. So the worship team comes. Zion, it's time for us to move forward. It's time for us to hit refresh, right? And in some of our lives, we might hit, we might might personally need to reboot. It's time for just a personal reboot in my life. However you want to kind of think about it, um, I want you to think about your one. And in three weeks from today, one, two, three weeks from today, it's Easter Sunday. And there's nothing magical about Easter Sunday, except it's another opportunity for us to gather and celebrate the resurrection. And it tends to be a day that people are open to an invitation to church, so let's leverage that, let's use that, and, uh, and let's begin to pray about Easter. But don't just pray for Easter pray for your one. On your seats, there should be something close to you. There's a card. I think we handed out a bunch of them last week as you're on your way out the door. Um, I would, the elder team, would love the opportunity to pray with you for and with and about and over the people that you would like to see meet Jesus. Not just by Easter, but over the next year. If it takes five years. But, But if you've got somebody that you would like I want them to meet Jesus more than anything in this world. Can we pray with you? The answer is yes, we can. We just need to know who they are. So if you would take a minute and write down, you know, on the top, you know, who it is, and you keep the top, and on the bottom or vice versa, I think I think you keep the top, and then you write down your name, so we can pray for you, and then pray for your friend. And if you just want to put their first name or their initials because you're more comfortable with that, great, um, do that. And then while we're you know while we're singing and responding. Um, bring a friend with you, talk to your neighbor, talk to someone in your D group, and come and just kind of begin the who's your one journey by spending some time today praying for your one or your several ones. And I know some of you are burdened for more than one person. Go ahead and fill out more than one card or put more than one name on a card. And last thing, and then we're going to sing, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you're more of a Zacchaeus, And today, you're like, it's time for me to start climbing a tree. I I need to start at least asking some questions. I need to figure out whether or not I really want to follow this man, Jesus, or not. And I just need some questions. I need to ask some questions and get some things answered. Then, by all means, come and talk to me, and we can set up a time for coffee. Uh, We can can connect. I can connect you to resources or connect you to another person. We want to help you on your journey. So as God leads you, let's respond. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And God, we have, again, by we, I'm I'm making a little bit of an assumption, but most in this room have received the forgiveness of sins that you, Christ, offer because of what you did on the cross for us and because you rose again three days later. And, And for that, we're grateful. God, may we be a people who wants, who longs for others to know that same forgiveness that we know in the person of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.